Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 13. Switching cabs like we had, and keeping on the move, had thrown off our pursuers. Transit didn't try to shut us down again, for which I wondered if we had the ever-aware investigator Pearden to think. I hoped that wasn't the case, because I didn't want to owe him anything. Using the elevator bank just off the neighborhood from that Greasy Spoon Diner I'd sought out seemed to be another move they weren't expecting. Ezezaro didn't call his shipmates waiting at the other plaza until we were at Josefina, a venerable medium hauler of the Gaedon class, owned by the Vernays. Over time, it had put on some hard light years and was about as far from a luxury cruiser as could be hoped for. But at that point, I hoped for a lot. Cargo ships, especially older ones, had discreet gunnery suites installed rather than limited AI systems that could be quickly taken offline by military-grade data intrusions. It could still happen, of course, especially in cat-and-mouse scenarios where there was time, but with such a multitude of hard and software products on the civilian market, electronic attacks on older suites were largely seen as a waste of time to perfect by military and security forces. When the ships themselves were easy to knock apart with weapons, why fight with a long chain of firewalled mini-systems, each with its own permissions protocols? Bridge, I called over the gunnery comm channel. Can you cut me into the Graviton sensor feed? I need to know whenever a new ship jumps in so I can model and sim any potential encounters. Yeah, famo, gunnery, Captain D'Empia responded still having some trouble figuring out how to address a social superior holding an inferior position on his ship. Doubtlessly, military vessels had experience with such things, as young nobles were routinely sent in as junior officers to learn the ropes. This was a dry goods hauler, though, with a focus on textiles and linens. It would have been far beyond the experience of anyone aboard to have had even a lowly familiancano of the family come aboard, let alone to see him sit in the defense chair and request live updates, feeds, and analyses. The ship, geared up as it was for immediate undocking, allowed us to just dust off and ignore orbital control's stern objections. I had small confidence that Josefina could make the jump point before a message could be sent out by unfriendly sources on Juriano Colony. If that were the case, such a radio call would have been to an interstellar communications service ahead of us upon a rim stay at the edge of the star system's gravity well. The bigger couriers often had small stations of their own, acting as fueling ports, cargo depots, and automated jump drone dispatch points. Monitoring traffic, 
I saw that two drones were launched in the 12 hours it took us to climb up to the jump point. Those might have been completely innocuous mail deliveries, but if either contained a message from Piani Trasal to persons unknown, it was entirely possible, at least in my mind, that the same pirate, or another like it, was now making ready to repeat history. If it rolled in before we were gone, it could fire off a directed energy weapon and jump away before our debris field could even be registered as a traffic hazard. The first thing I did when I came aboard was see about the qualifications and certs of the ship's gunner, who, as it turned out, was also the ship's medico-tech and a freight assistant. She was young and had no active combat on her record. I then had a deckhand tell me how to find gunnery, which was tucked way down in a secondary cargo bay. I suppose it made sense to place it there. They only needed to find an open spot near a power and comm junction in the conduits running through the bulkheads and overhead. Then it was just a matter of bolting, welding, and bracing in the armored, comprehensive unit. Gunnery was effectively self-contained, therefore, and even had its own emergency air supply, good for several days, and generous backup power. There was drinking water and emergency food packs, and boxes of bio-waste bags. Comprehensive meant exactly that. Despite the directions, I got all mixed up and came in through the wrong hatch to the bay. To get to the rounded metal booth, I had to climb over a couple of tall, wrapped pallets of undyed cotton bolts, earmarked for industry auction in another star system. I knocked on the door, the woman opened it, and I informed her that I was taking over. I pushed my way in, in fact, and guided her out, all in an apologetic tone of voice, even as I shut the hatch on her surprised face. She couldn't speak a lick of English and had no idea who I was. I didn't inquire about our guests once we were aboard. That would have taken too much attention, and really, I didn't even know what to say to them. They were almost certainly going to ask the one question I had yet to answer, even to myself. Why was I helping? I knew why I wasn't, but that too was nebulous. I wasn't being gallant, I wasn't feeling especially sympathetic, nor the reverse, and I sure wasn't hoping to chain my fortunes to that of the Cogit line. I didn't want to have such a conversation, though it would come eventually. When everyone was safe, we would talk, and then I could be the crazy guy, then I could offer weak replies to earnest questions. That's when it would be safe to doubt me. And if they did... Whatever. They could assume the worst. Many had in the past, and others probably would in the future, if there was one. My reputation meant little, except where it intersected my interests. At the moment, those included the widow Fausel, that is, Kamatosa Rusina Buonacajit, and her children, Beeular and Indita, and by extension the servants with them. That only amounted to one bodyguard, who looked strange to me now without his bright, ugly uniform, and one handmaiden with a black eye. Racing around town in an automated cab, and then coming aboard, the latter was no more identifiable to me than last time I'd seen her. 
There was passive recognition for me, though, in those haunted, half-battered orbs, even adulterated as they were with a queasy fear and gratitude cocktail that made Hadia Duzentabel seem much older than before. Assaulted and beaten for no rational reason, the ugliness of it was stunning, numbing, like a fire that burned, that charred, that destroyed the nerves and sensibilities of innocence. And all of those others, her sisters, colleagues, those women were gone now. The rest of the bodyguards and various servants, too. Splashed to the stellar winds along with Dorcas of the Heather. If Duca had used a bomb, he could barely have brought about more destruction. And the one guard, Shieldman Glautukavil. That guy was a dangerous guy. I could see it in him because I'd seen it in others who were. He would protect the remaining members of the family out of a sense of overriding obligation, even love. His honor depended upon that. His duty was not finished and might never be, but from it he'd never shirk. Not one gram's worth and not for a single moment. I'd seen that type before, too. Kambotata, idiobot guisto? came a man's voice over the channel from the bridge, two minutes after shooing the young hand out. In my head, through the wonder of an on-the-fly translation application in my retinals, he was saying, Gunnery, can I ask a question? There was no direct comm interface for my personal data rig, at least not without fiddling, so I couldn't pipe my own translated words back over to him. The comm system might have had a language pack installed, but if so, I didn't know how to access it. Luckily, I didn't have to. Uh, pardo English? I asked. Uh, yes, I speak some. You push out a cana from, uh, combotata, what the word? Gunnery, yeah, I'm sorry, but my low speak isn't very good. Please apologize for me. I'm a professional gunner myself. I'm licensed and have a certification equal to a Class 8 here in the Empire. On the crew manifest, it says she only has a Class 2. We may have trouble before this is over. Trouble? Pirate again? Like other sheep? The mention of it seemed to cause him trouble, as it should have. That was no pirate. It was a military gunship with a spoofed sensor profile. You... Uh, are you... is this true? He expressed both confusion and deep worry, all in one tone of voice. I'm not sure about the class of warship, but that it was one? Absolutely. This is a star system owned by a crowd of nobles, so I assume it belonged to one or more of them. Or to one of their friends. Ultimately, it was one person in particular who requested it. Why? Why they do this? It was thought that our passengers were aboard Dorcas of the Heather when it was destroyed. They weren't, but they are on this ship, and by now that information is known. So, yeah, I'm sorry for being rude when I asked, what was her name, Kaena? When I asked Kaena to let me take over, but we may not be getting out of here without a fight, and the qualified gunner aboard should be shooting back if that happens. Cannot win fight against warship? We have to at least try. 
They'll attack if they get here before we leave. How are your star jump calcs coming along? Uh, is ready. Just need to get out of gravity. How long? It's still hours. Could be done sooner, but it's some risk. Which means we could do it even sooner than that with some bigger risk, yes? Maybe we should. Maybe is not your choice. I had to laugh at that one. He was right. What was the point of escaping an attack if we just rushed into a catastrophic misjump? Look, we ought to be ready for it either way, don't you think? You is ask things when really tell things. He was quiet for a while, then simply concluded the exchange with, We'll see what can do about jump numbers. Can maybe be going little sooner. What is name, ain't fellow? Is work for familiar Conwistaron, ja? He sounded a little less nervous than before. I don't work for him, I am him. Double-check my ident logon for this gunnery suite. That brought silence. Apparently there'd been some confusion about what was actually going on. Confirming my identity took a couple seconds. And then the implication set in. He'd just been familiar with, even impertinent to, a member of the ruling class, however inadvertently. Uh, familiar Colonel was, uh, is not, uh, having no idea. Captain, please, take a breath. There has been no insult made. Indeed, the entire Vernays family is in the debt of you and your crew. And for the moment, I'm a member of that crew. I am not exaggerating the danger here. Until we're safe, I'll take your orders like any other hand. He bumbled some assurances that, yes, of course, whatever the good Fama wanted. This had surprised him, and I was afraid he would act less like my commander than he would a commander the family employed. Fawning took time, and even seconds could make all the difference. My name is Ejok de Santos. Yours? Galliadek de Empia, he replied. Is can call me Zeko. I'll call you Captain de Empia. Ejok is fine for me. Reserve the formal stuff for formal occasions. After Star Jump, we'll meet properly, and I'll explain it all in detail. Also, I'd like to apologize to Kaena in person, but I'm not moving from this seat, Captain, until we're out of the star system. No, this good. He's been hearing of Estaron. If he's pirate, I'm happy you hear. I acknowledged his confidence in my legendary powers, thanked him for his trust, and then he was gone. The whole exchange gave me pause. He'd ranged from annoyed confusion to expecting some sort of magical protection, all in one brief conversation. We had never worked together before, so he couldn't possibly have any personal trust to go on. Instead, family gossip and urban myth were the anchors here. Bad start. I'd spun out the nightmare scenario to Captain D'Empia, but there were others worth pursuing, one or two of which were less grim. I hung my hat on those and kept working. Kaena had been running some by-the-book diagnostics of the vessel's weaponry systems when I'd kicked her out. That was a sign of a defense station that was properly maintained. 
Being an older system, those diags would need a few more minutes, but I wasn't seeing anything alarming in the active displays. Captain Diempia had already laid in the required security codes for his gunner to operate the system. I could do everything with it short of actually firing, which required the commander to input his own security code up on the bridge. That was the final step in the process of bringing a commercial vessel to combat readiness, ensuring that the captain had ultimate control over what his weapons were going to do. By law, it could only happen in an active threat environment, and despite my misgivings, this wasn't one until the threat actually appeared. This gunnery suite was a Howdoin Defensive Industries Type 3 Comprehensive Gunnery Bay. A few passes to the settings and everything came up in English. Another to the simulation library and I uploaded my own knowledge base of space vessels, weapon systems, sim templates, and scenarios from my retinals. Howdoin Type 3s were solid being one of my favorite hard and software interfaces from the previous decade. Everything, by design, integrated perfectly with everything else. When properly installed, Type 3s enjoyed a seamless matchup with the rest of the vessel. This one had been properly installed. By the time we were an hour from our scheduled jump, I'd been in gunnery for 10, save for a couple quick fresher breaks. Twice I'd called the ship's designated steward to deliver food and cough tea. I ran diagnostics continually, as well as simulations. The latest round of these ended how they should, so I placed a call to the bridge. Captain, it's time. I need weapons hot. Is yet nothing on sensors, famo? Uh, uh... Please, just address me as gunnery. I'm sitting in this chair, so by law I'm under your command. If we get jumped by a warship and aren't ready for a fight, we'll die just like Dorcas of the Heather. Give me the opportunity to defend this ship. I may only buy us a few seconds, but it's better than nothing. Be ready for star jump, no matter where we are in the gravity shadow. He was quiet for a bit. This really was one of those decisions no captain worth their salt ever made lightly. There were other ways to look at these unfolding events, most prominently of which was that they were merely some ridiculous assumptions and nonsense from a crazy nobleman. Ja, is agree. And a moment later, the notifier of gunnery's lock status blinked green. Thank you, sir. Okay, I'm going to be doing a preemptive launch and positioning of ordnance. Don't worry, I'll clean up my mess. And for the record... I'm doing this entirely on my own initiative as a licensed gunner and the ship's defense specialist on duty. I also authorize any repairs or compensation due to the ship because of these actions as a member of the Vernay's household. Can you ask spatial navigation to run a filter over the ship's energy sensors for the parameters I'm sending right now? And I posted a custom filter template to the navigation inbox of Josefina's switchboard. It'll save time if I get that information directly from ship sensors instead of having this equipment filter for it. Is need anything more? The man asked. I could hear a steely tension there now, which seemed to imply that my seriousness had made some headway against his skepticism. I suspected, too, that this was not the captain's first brush with violence, or at least the potential for it. 
call for battle stations? I ventured. If he's nothing, then he's me, root authority come for. Your Grand Patro will stand by you, and so will I. Grand Patro not here now, he pressed, because a call for battle stations with weapons hot was a crime unless there was an actual battle in the offing. He thought a bit. Then the recorded klaxon for battle stations sounded for ten seconds over all intercom channels. Though honking and grating, it was sweet to my ears. Internal vac greatly reduces the chance of fires or pressure-related blowouts and was part of the process surrounding a call to ready arms. I pulled on one of the emergency pressure suits, simple and loose-fitting, and hooked it into the ship Atmo line. Since it couldn't be taken for granted that passengers were well-versed in the use of vacuum suits, it was standard practice to have them don thin emergency suits like mine, which required no fiddling, no training. Then they would have been herded to a central chamber, probably some sort of common room, and locked in. Atmosphere would be reclaimed by air pumps from every section of the ship save that one, until the all-clear sounded over comms. Should the chamber become hulled, the suits would be effective backups. That was how it was supposed to work, and a quick call to the bridge once again confirmed it. The prep time for battle conditions had been pretty good. Not groundbreaking, but not bottom barrel either. They did drills on this ship, I could tell. That was good. Right now, that was nearly everything. As a Gaedon, Josefina was meant as a one- or two-jump delivery vessel, most productively employed in picking up spillover hauls from much larger ships, as well as running smaller, specialized loads and direct deliveries. It was a venerable ship, but a cut above most of the usual gear grinders of its tonnage. From a gunnery standpoint, it wasn't bad either. The aforementioned Type Three control station... Two six-count missile cylinders, dorsal and ventral, with three swap-in reload packs for each, for a total ordnance load of 48 Class Three ship-to-ship darts. These were an extremely common chemical rocket capable of remote control. They carried small warheads cleared for non-initiating ship defense. Swap-ins were illegal in the Alliance, so it was a good thing this wasn't unfolding over there. There were smart ways to use these weapons that could maximize efficacy. I had hundreds of sim scenarios in my library for this missile type specifically. Additionally, there was a Class IV Cyani Seer Plasma Lance in the bow, designed for point defense. It would be useless in countering enemy DEW attacks, but there were other, less obvious ways to use one, and I had scenarios like that as well. With the go-ahead now given, I programmed the first load of missiles with a preset from the scenario I'd chosen, and launched both loaded packs, the first set of reloads cycling up becoming ready immediately. Four seconds in, I cut the missile engines remotely and let them drift in predetermined vectors. These were simplistic weapons, but did have some degree of smart swarm technology. They were aware of each other and could work in concert to a degree, if pre-programmed to do so, which they now were through the sim. 
We had no hope of surviving even a single strike from a military-grade pulse cannon. Though I'd been running sims for hours, I was still working with eyes shut. We didn't actually know anything about the raider. There was only inference derived from very limited data that had been haphazardly gathered and collected by others. If I had a few minutes to study the thing inside a continually updating situational status, or S2, I could perhaps figure out a way to damage a small or medium warship, even with the toy guns we had aboard. But Dorcas of the Heather had only been given seconds, and Josefina would fare no better. All we could do was run, and even running ate up time. Was there a way to gain some more, maybe? Even a few moments. I called the bridge again. <laughs> they must have been tired of hearing from me. Captain, is there any way we can disable the ship's transponder until we jump? Is big illegal, he responded flatly. Not gunner, not nobleman has authority for this. That's not what I asked. Can it be done? If we're broadcasting who we are... They won't need to verify our identity. They can just jump in, let the ship read our ID, and fire autonomously. That's how I'd do it. But if we're running black, they'll have to at least make an assessment and decision. That's a human thing, which takes time. Transponder buried under deck three containment plate, the officer replied without delay. He'd made his choice. Can only access from outside. People not supposed to tamper. Engineering can remove, but is back up under aft hull plating. Will kick in when first one dies. Is there time to access both? Now, he said with a shake of his head. Then how about a loop back on the second one to make the system think the first one is still online? Cannot know, but will suggest. We need this fast, Captain. And again, I apologize in advance if it turns out to be for nothing. If nothing, apologize in jump space. No need otherwise. He cut the conversation, sounding hopeful, which was still mystifying to me. I was listening in on all relevant bridge and engineering channels. They were communicating in a combination of low-speak and ing-tech, or English technical which was a codified lingo associated with science, engineering, and mathematics. By international law... All pilots had to be able to use it for the sake of intercommunications. You couldn't have a casual, everyday conversation in InkTech, at least not in the version taught in schools, but it allowed for a high degree of technology-based understanding across cultures and language barriers. I understood it well enough, as it was often used in various aspects of gunnery training. They chattered on comparing and sharing important details here and there. I listened as a small team was scrambled out to the hull in order to cut in, run that loop back, and disable the transponder to the fore. They made it sound easy. God, how I hated the waiting. It was this part where a lot of mistakes happened. People were either too worried to prepare properly or too worried to sit still once they had. Tinkering with things to gain every advantage was only natural. Being in the middle of tinkering when the action suddenly started could be fatal. 
I sat back and closed my eyes. I saw Yukus and admitted to myself that she'd been too tall, too awkward, gawky even, but cute despite all. She'd likely been scared of people with their cloying ties and subtle betrayals. She had been mean to me, but not from a mean spirit. I hadn't minded playing the whipping boy because her jokes, if not always funny, had at least been clever. I would have kissed her again for sure. My board lit up when the ship's sensors detected the telltale graviton discharge of an incoming vessel. Its own transponder matched one in the currently running scenario. It was in an expected vector series and came as no surprise. An odd profile, but with a detectable power output exceeding any commercial hauler of its mass. SAR readings, that is, structural analysis radar, came up with an armored hull under random exterior framework. A high probability of it being a military gunship, a light coaster, the heavy's leaner, faster little sibling. Such a ship could act as a fighter, a bomber, a small troop carrier, or, as had been proven, a tool of assassination. With data coming directly from sensors as parsed details, the Type 3 gunnery station simply had to slot them into my defined criteria. These things took one hundredth of a second total. Lights flashing on my controls as the scenario updated with the new S2, it all just happened. The missiles, previously launched, now went off in a vast, blobby, disjointed sphere around the newcomer's location. Simultaneously, active sensors located the primary fire point of the vessel. Josefina's plasma lance locked on to the identified exterior lens casing of the enemy's optical targeting array and fired. All vessels in space used a battery of disparate sensor tools, including radar, LIDAR, passive EMR detection, heavy particle capture and analysis, graviton discharge, and more. A ship's gunnery used most of these in microseconds to arrive at a consensus of the S-2, determined by specialized equipment and software. If one sensor was down or overloaded, either from technical faults or outside conditions, the consensus was made with whatever sensor systems were still online, with the overall targeting confidence correspondingly reduced. The raider met with a very different set of circumstances than it could have anticipated. A sudden cloud of exploding gases, shrapnel, and particulate matter around the vessel, coupled with compromised optical targeting, would have dropped the confidence level of anyone's preset scenarios. A military-grade pulse cannon's optical targeting array was a hardware system designed for deep action in pitched space battles. It could handle far more punishment than any civvy plasma lance could dish out. Unlike a cannon that charged up and fired powerful bolts at a target, however, plasma lances could remain steady, concentrating a weak to moderate beam of plasmized particles upon a single spot. They stopped incoming missiles by touching each for a moment or two, flicking from one to the next. 
No, we couldn't hurt them with it, but focusing it upon the enemy's targeting sensor prevented that sensor from focusing on us. Since we were still alive five seconds after the intruder jumped in, I knew that an error must have been sounding on the display of that ship's master gunnery station. Simultaneously, a round dozen red alerts from the missiles exploding harmlessly around the disguised vessel would also be popping up, obscuring the targeting error under combat alarms. Close-order explosions took priority, no matter their power. Unexpected attacks to port, starboard, dorsal, ventral, input needed. No lock on the target, input needed. Human interaction was required, human decision, human delay. We have to go, I cried, desperately hoping that anyone up on the bridge who could initiate Star Jump and who wanted to keep breathing was listening to my channel. But already, reality was collapsing. Down, down into my stomach, my core, my mind, as time and space around Josefina folded in around us like a letter of love. There wasn't much to be done regarding our registered flight plan. Until the coaster had shown up, no one aboard believed it actually would. Even I hadn't been too sure, despite my big mouth. Consequently, the jump, hasty and a little early though it had been, was locked onto an arrival point that had been logged with the Amikotenda Orbital Control Office. And if it was known to O.C., then Piani knew it too, because only O.C. could have supplied the kind of details the light coaster had needed to jump in nearly on top of us. After the adrenaline rush, Captain D'Empia called for a conference meeting via a private video channel. This included ship's officers and specialists, most of whom were still on duty at their stations. That currently included the pushy minor nobleman down in gunnery. At my insistence, Shieldman Avil was invited as well. He logged on from the common room where the refugees were still collected. I could hear the kids in the background. After an initial inquiry as to their status, the family guard assured us that they were all just fine. Gunnery, Captain D'Empia began like an officer, but then reverted to a vassal. Famoy, is maybe can explain now what is this, all this, why ship put in danger? Captain, I replied, for your information, I am not the ranking noble person aboard. That honor goes to the Kamatosa Rusina Bonakajit. You have just saved her and her children from assassination at the hands of Nobolata Omano Piani Trasal and her allies. The man's eyes went round upon that news, but I wasn't done. As a member of Famia Vernays, I said flatly, I declare this branch of the Kajit line to be under our protection. I assume we're clear on that point, sir? Is, yes, clears, came the quick reply, couched in reserved, unreadable emotion. Too many nobles for comfort, maybe? Isem expect report from gunnery by end of shift, ja? Yes, sir, I promised. You'll have it. 
and then he was on to the shieldman, switching to low speak, with no pause. "'Your name is Glautucoville?' the captain asked, reading from something off-screen. My retinals did pretty well translating. "'You've stated yourself to be a defender of that woman and her children.' "'That is correct, Captain,' came the reply in the same language. "'The situation outlined by Familian Kano Ich, uh, uh, by your crewman, is accurate.' We are refugees, subject to your will and generosity while aboard, and I believe I can speak for the Countess when I express our most sincere thanks for the umbrella of Josefina's safety. We throw ourselves upon the mercy, I say again, mercy, of this fine ship and its sterling officers and crew. You offer a glib, practiced reply, Shieldman. Yes, the darkly bearded man admitted without any hint of embarrassment. For I did not wish to speak in error. Errors at this point in history will be lethal. I have rehearsed these words, but they are my words and true. The Cogets are in peril. We accept the protection offered by the Vernays. That is all, and nothing more, upon my honor as a servant of the Empire." Such an assurance was hard to argue against in this part of space. Back in the Alliance, and over in the corporate territory, honor was a concept unknown, except for a rather narrowly defined version dragged out by the military whenever it needed a new wave of daughters and sons to throw in front of enemy hellfire. That, and in old-time fairy stories told to children and childish adults. Over here, however, it was real. It shaped and defined people's lives and just as often ended them. Status was partially rank, money, and influence, but also reputation. Reputation began and ended with personal honor. It was almost a strange form of currency, which, when used to purchase trust or influence within social circles, still remained and could even grow. Yet when spent on one's failings, mistakes, or shames, could only rarely be recovered. It was precious to them, and invisible to anyone who wasn't them. For this reason, the captain seemed to think Shieldman Avil's reply was adequate, and he nodded in acceptance. To his censor spech, piped in from the bridge, he asked, What is your assessment of that ship? This guy was round-faced, with a trim brown beard, looking to be thirty or so in my eye view. Sir, after going over all the logs, both by eye and through three different deconstructive programs, I have to agree with Famo de Santos. The intruder was a warship of the light coaster class. It was at least partially disguised so as to change its physical outline and signature, though its graviton wash was definitely military. The vessel's transponder made it out to be a small personnel shuttle that we cannot find in any of the public listings, and either way, it didn't correspond to the sensor profile we managed to capture before we star-jumped. That can be faked, but it's hard to get right, the chief engineer injected, her craggy, grease-marred face nodding in a little window in my eye view. In my professional opinion... We are talking about a vessel dedicated to quick and covert military action. No other conclusion meets the facts. I smiled and nodded at her image, grateful for the corroboration. 
having members of Josefina's own crew agree with me felt empowering. Captain Diempia simply moved on, speaking next about some engineering and cargo concerns, both of which were reported as being handled. Captain, I spoke up after a time, when we arrive in Bradica system, it's a bad idea to continue on with Josefina's logged flight plan. They can't get ahead of us on this first jump, but they can cut us off at the next by going there directly. The man was quiet for a moment, thinking it over, then replied in English, Is have alternative? Actually, yes. Domina Gentium star system, 12 light years from Bradica, which I believe this ship can do in one jump if we push it. We won't need air or fuel reloads immediately, am I right? Domina Gentium is an automated mining facility with no permanent staff. It's owned by Freedoi Industries, but is currently fulfilling a heavy metals contract for a subsidiary of the Vernays family. We have docking rights there for the sake of contract oversight. It has life support and fueling facilities, but I doubt it would be the first or even second place our enemies would look. He's saying our enemies, the captain asked evenly, looking straight at me in midair. My actions, Captain, and not the actions of this ship have ensured it. Barring unexpected developments, we can safely assume the Vernays family is now in conflict with Lady Trissal and her coalition. In this, we stand alongside the Codgets, I added, with a glance at the shieldman, who did a small head bow in return. Is maybe much for a familiar candle to say, the officer replied, eyes narrow studying me and the situation as a whole. And yet I'm saying it, Captain. I feel confident my actions will be borne out by higher-ranking members of the family. In the meantime, I take full responsibility for anything you need to do for this ship, its passengers, and its crew. If you need this in writing, I'll be happy to oblige. He was still thinking about it, or at least held that same look, but he spoke while doing so. Ja, is good idea. Come my office, 1400. Secretary AI is have document ready. And then the meeting was over. He dismissed us, and faces winked out in ones and twos for a few seconds in my eye view. <sighs> we were alive. We were away. The trouble wasn't over. It was likely just starting. But we'd be in jump space for 12 hours before arriving in Bradica, and then, hopefully, immediately on to Domina Gentium, taking six days to arrive there, subjective time. It was a chance to think, which I sorely needed, because there was a lot to think about. Starting with how I was going to sell a noble feud to the Vernays family.
You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Malov and is licensed through TribeOfNoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio novels and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.